0: Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, let's open up to Matthew's Gospel. We're continuing along in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we shift gears uh, just a little bit. um, And uh, we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 this morning. You know, one of my favorite people uh, in my life, I have a lot of favorite people, my my wife, my kids, but one of my favorite uh, people or persons, I guess, to spend time with uh, as I've gotten older is my dad. Uh, I love my dad for a variety of reasons. Uh, grown up, he was a faithful father that just did uh, everything he could to provide for our family. He's walked with character, integrity. Uh, he was never harsh, was never a taskmaster, uh, and uh, always very deliberate and kind. And, and to this day, as I've gotten older, I've grown in my relationship with him and alongside, and I just enjoy being with him. But I also realize that um, there are some of you here today that didn't have necessarily that relationship with your own dad. And maybe your dad was harsh and he was a taskmaster. Maybe your dad wasn't around. Maybe you didn't get to see him a whole lot. Maybe you come from a broken home. But one of the things that we tend to do as believers is oftentimes mistakenly we can view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father. And it creates issues oftentimes in how we view the father because we look at the father through the lens of the experience that we had with our earthly father. And Jesus in this moment is addressing a very similar scenario to a group of people who are beginning to to impose upon the Father and to make him to be something that he's really not. And your view today and how you view God the Father, it deeply, deeply matters. J.I. Packard, one of my favorite theologians from the past, says that if you want to judge a person and how well they understand Christianity, you judge based upon how much and how often he rests in this notion that God is his father and that he is a child of God in the position that God has given. And J.I. Packard was a a godly man. And and on the other side of that spectrum, advocating for a a similar thing but in in a different way is the secular psychologist Sigmund Freud who says this about Christians and about fatherhood, nothing destroys someone's faith in God more than a bad relationship with their dad. Not having a relationship or looking at it incorrectly. And what Jesus does in in Matthew chapter 6 is he begins to attack primarily the issue of of the Father and and who God actually is with these groups of religious leaders that have twisted the understanding of of who he is. And they've put these tasks and and have yoked people in in bondage with their rules and and with their attention-seeking posture. And so if you would, follow along with me, beginning in verse one. For Jesus continues to speak to the multitudes, and he says this, "...beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward also." But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you, your giving may be in secret and that your Father who sees in secret will then reward you. So a couple of things are, are happening in this moment. One of the first things that I want you to notice in the very beginning, just when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen, what he's not saying there. He's not saying to take your righteousness and your right living before God and to go hide it. He's not saying to go take it and and put it away under a bushel or to remove the light or to stop being salt. One of the things that churches are going to have to overcome in the decades to come is that we need to be more outspoken and rightly living in front of the world. So they can see the the good things and, and give glory to God the Father. This doesn't mean that we take our right living before him or our righteousness and we become quiet and we retreat in our faith. That is not what Jesus is saying in this moment. But what he is attacking in this moment is the idea that we would pursue godliness or righteousness or live it out on display so that other people would recognize it and give us credit and us not pointing it back to God. He's attacking the motivation of the believer in this moment. And he's asking us to do some, some heart work and to check our hearts, if you will, in this moment in time that as we pursue God and justice and the things that God would call us to do, that we make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons. Not to build up our names or our platforms, not to grow our social media, Not to get recognition or or acknowledgement, even if you will, but just simply doing it because we serve a faithful and a generous and a kind God. And he commands us and we are compelled out of that relationship to therefore go and to live rightly before the Lord, practicing our righteousness in the right way. But notice he says that you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is language that was unheard of before this moment, really. The idea that Jesus would approach and was accused of approaching God in such a casual way but identifying him as a father figure removing and and stripping the the Godhead, if you will, as the Pharisees would have accused him and, and making God more accessible and more attainable. And what Jesus is doing when he uses this word father is he is speaking about the intimacy that exists within the relationship of the believer. That if we know Jesus and we're walking with him and we're pursuing with him, there is a relationship that exists out of that. And we walk with a level of intimacy authentically before him. And so when we say our father, who is in heaven this is the one that gives us the relationship thus when you give to the needy verse 2 sound no trumpet And so these men and these women at times would would come and and they would practice their righteous living and their giving to the needy and they would put it on display. They would literally ring a bell, blow a horn and make a huge announcement about the gift that I just gave on behalf of, of my family name. And the reason why they did that was to receive acclaim and recognition and to make much of themselves. This also doesn't mean, however, that There's not a time for thankfulness and gratitude in gifts. It doesn't mean and give us an excuse that that we shouldn't be thankful and that we shouldn't show gratitude when when giving is done and and when budgets are met. And and whether that goes for your business or your home or or it goes for the church, it, it is okay and it is good and it is right to be thankful before the Lord. But what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's attacking the motivation of the one that would give so that they would give in such a way that they would be esteemed in their reputation before all those that would see them. And he uses this word, and, and we're familiar with this word, and I think we're so familiar with it, it blows past us sometimes. And he says, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, the hypocrites. This is an ancient word that, refers primarily to the idea of in ancient plays, actors and actresses would put on masks and they would pretend to to be someone that they're not. They would pretend to to have stature or to play a character, if you will, and to pretend to be someone that they're not. Uh, This uh, coming Tuesday at uh, my kid's school, they, they have character day, which is awesome. Now, most normal five-year-old kindergartners. They start thinking about character day. It's basically whatever you want to do to dress up. And so Duke, my little son, was like, you know, uh, I kind of have an affinity for Flash, and that's kind of his thing right now, as well as Spider-Man. All the the fifth grade, all the kindergartners are going to show up guaranteed uh, wearing Marvel uniforms or DC, that's what they're going to be, right? So my kid, let me tell you about my son. So several months ago, We had a family uh, just date night gathering where my creative artsy wife was like, listen, we are gonna dress up, uh, stay home tonight. Uh, We're gonna dress up all as Bob Ross. And we're gonna watch a Bob Ross video and we're gonna attempt to paint the same picture that Bob Ross is painting and then we're gonna judge everyone's painting. So we all had our wigs and we had our beards drawn on and we sat there and we drew and and I painted and I got outpainted uh, by every single person in my family. I have no artistic ability and license whatsoever. I was completely and utterly destroyed. And so wouldn't you know it that when Character Day comes up on this coming Tuesday, what my son, Duke, wants to be when he goes to school is Bob Ross. Bro, this is why I became a dad. Like, I live for this moment. We've already practiced and seen the costume. We've already got the beard on, and I mean he looks incredible. And he's gonna go all day as this character pretending to be some, he he even has the lingo down. I'm I'm gonna paint the happy little trees and this bird, he needs a friend. Let's draw him a friend to be up there on the painting. He's got it down. Well, you know, it's one thing to dress up for character day and to pretend to be something that you're not just for a moment, but it is an indictment oftentimes in the church when we practice character day and we practice hypocrisy in the form that Jesus is referring to and we wear the mask all the time. And we never take it off. And we never just are who who we are and pursuing who we need to be in Christ. Walking authentically, living vulnerable lives before one another in community, in our small groups, in the midst of our circles, serving one another as as a privilege, pursuing the mission that God has given us. Jesus in this moment, in these first few verses, he's not drawing any kind of dichotomy between outward and inward. You see, in this moment, the truly righteous man shows his righteousness in righteous deeds, but he does it not to be seen. What he's saying to us is posing the statement that why we do something is as significant as what we do. The motivation of the heart and why we labor and do the things that we do is just as significant as what it is that we are actually doing. Jesus, in this moment, is raising the bar, if you will, up to another level. He goes on in verse 5, and he says, And when you pray, not just giving, not just living righteously, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't wear the mask. Don't be the character, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, which is is no reward, nothing eternally. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This verse is often misapplied by well-meaning people and intended people, but also antagonists of Christians in general. They would make the argument that Jesus is contending and arguing that his people should not be praying in the public sphere. Should not be praying out in the midst of the community, but that's a complete misreading and misunderstanding of what's happening here. What Jesus is doing is he's attacking the motivation for those that wish to be platformed in some way that are putting on a facade of of religion or spirituality so that they can have favor with other people because they are concerned about their reputation and they want to be seen as spiritual people when the fact is they're really not. And so Jesus just says, listen, to remove all of the temptation of that, the doubt of that, go in secret and pray and go before the Lord and go before your Father. But he's not saying that we retreat from the world in which we find ourselves in. He's not saying we only pray in in the secret places. No, uh, in fact, what we see when we look at all of the Gospels and all of Scripture, we are meant to live as a people who have been sent out on mission, publicly living out our faith demonstrating that faith, whether it be through acts of service, right living, whether it be how we give and giving generously or tending to the needs of of the most vulnerable people or praying or doing our discipleship and walking with God out where others can see it. One of the worst places to do discipleship is in the church. You know why? Because lost, the lost people are not here. What needs to happen is that we need to engage the other spaces to go where people that are far from God don't know him and to engage them in a way and to mirror our lives in such a way that they see how we're walking with him. They see our righteous living. They see that we're the same person on Sunday that we are on, on Monday or, or that we are on Tuesday or that you are on Wednesday, that we're faithful. That we are who we say we are and we're pursuing those things as best we can, as faithfully as we can. But Jesus says in verse 7, don't heap up these empty phrases. And he says, don't use these; their many words. That that many words in the Greek, uh, it renders in this Greek word that just basically means babbling. It almost looks like that in the Greek, to to babble. To go on and on with with endless words and and verbiage, this this rambling. These these men would oftentimes come up to the platforms and, and they're stomping their feet and they're screaming and they're making this spectacle of themselves with this false sense of piety. And Jesus is like, stop it. Like, cut it out. You look like fools in the midst of this. Your empty phrases and, and your many words, you're not being the same person on the platform that you are behind the scenes. And your prayer life doesn't match publicly what it is in privately. Your righteous living in this moment doesn't match publicly what it looks like privately, how you tend and how you give. It doesn't match publicly what it is and actually is privately. Jesus is talking about this generosity of spirit that ought to be there, not to be concerned with what anyone thinks but God. To rest in that truth that our chief and primary concern is not what anyone thinks except God. The question for me each and every Sunday when I go home is not so much what did my family think or my wife think or even what you think? But the most important question, those things matter, but the most important question is what did God think? Did I do what he told me to do? Same applies on Monday morning when you wake up to go to work tomorrow and you lay your head on your bed tomorrow night. It's not so much what did your employees think or your customers think or your family think, but did you live in such a way today that, that, that it matters? What did, what did God think with, with what we did with the things that he had given us? And how did we steward those resources? I wanna say to you, church family, um, over the past two years, you have stewarded faithfulness so well. You have been faithful and generous and you have been sacrificial. You've been present. And I want you to know that it is known and that it is felt. We, we are possibly this year, I didn't share this in the first service, but I shared it, uh, you'll see it in this letter that's coming up. It, it's, it's very possible, we're very close to have two consecutive years, two consecutive years in a row of over 100 new people coming each year to join. Not just visit, but I mean to join and to unite with us in membership. Budget, you guys are killing it. Faithfully giving, generously giving and God is is meeting every one of our, our needs and he's going to continue to meet every one of our needs because we're giving not for recognition not for acclaim we're giving generously because we serve a very generous God and he's worthy of our very best efforts in generosity and so we keep going and we keep moving forward and we keep pursuing and we keep doing the things that God has called us to do. But what do we do with these admonitions, these three in particular, of, of, of our giving and, and how we serve the needy and our righteous living? What do, we, what do we do with these in these moments? I think implicitly in the text, and this is where I want to end for us today, implicitly what is happening here is Jesus is targeting immediately the innermost parts of our hearts and speaking to the motivations of why we do the things that we do. And what he wants us to understand in this moment is understanding what happens in our hearts when we're not careful and how that sin can creep back in in the moment so that we get recognition and we get acclaim, that we get someone to look at us and to notice us because we want to be seen and and heard and, and we value our reputations. And so what we must recognize is that while conversion and putting our faith in Christ, it dethrones sin from our lives, it doesn't remove it completely from our hearts. And so we labor, we understand that every day I wake up and I choose to put my flesh to death, I mortify my sin, I put it aside and I walk in the spirit and I call upon the spirit to work in my life and to move in my life each and every day. There is no peace time for the Christian. We are always at war, spiritually speaking. We are always in the midst of of battle, guarding against where our heart, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, would take us and would move us if we are not, in his word, disciplining ourselves, meditating on his word, being in community, in our circles, coming alongside one another. We need each other. We must have each other to do this. And so Jesus challenges their hearts and he challenges their view of the Father and who the Father is. And we're going to see this more so next week as he teaches them to pray. But I started off talking about my dad, recognizing that maybe some of you struggle with that issue of of fatherhood. Jesus is addressing God as a father in this moment. And so when they're hearing this, this is revolutionary to them. This is new to them and they're processing this. And I think one of the most helpful passages in all of the Bible that helps us understand the father is found in Isaiah 43. And I'm gonna end here. And I'm gonna read this over us. And I want you to hear what God wants us to think about him and who he is as father. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you won't be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. When you go through the worst things on earth, I go right beside you through those things. I'm with you, always. I've never left you, I've never forsaken you, I've not abandoned you, I've never been harsh, I'm not a taskmaster, I've not put you in bondage, I've set you free. And I've given my son to set you free so you can walk in that freedom. And so fear not, my friends, for the Lord is is with us, that he is a good, kind, and and loving father. He is full of, of mercy and rich in compassion. He is not harsh to us. He is loving and he is merciful. He has redeemed us and he has given us a name. He knows your name. And he knows your circumstance. He knows your feelings. He knows your doubts. He knows where your faith is. He knows where your faith's not. He'll go into the waters with you. The swift waters of the river shall not overwhelm you because he is with you. The fire shall not burn you because he will come alongside. No matter what may come, this is our Father. This is who we contend for. This is who we make much of out in our city. And the Bible says that we do that by lifting up his son Jesus and by exalting him, talking about him, living out our faith. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. Today, through repentance of sin, faith in Christ, you can know this heavenly Father through Jesus. If you don't know him, I would plead with you to to know him today, to, to confess your sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you always, and he will forgive you of your sins. But maybe you're here today and you know Jesus, but maybe you've been wearing a mask. It's not as cute as uh, Duke's gonna be on Tuesday, but it's a mask. And some of you maybe this morning need to remove your mask. And be who God intended you to be in Christ. And walk with him. And be real and be authentic and be faithful. And put your righteous living on display, not for you, but for the world to see so that you can then give God the glory and the credit and the honor that he deserves. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. We thank you that there is salvation in your son, Jesus. And we thank you for that. We are grateful that you have redeemed us, called us by name. You have already passed through the rough, troubled waters. You have already been through the fire and come out unburned. And so our faith is not in our ability to overcome those things, but our faith is in your ability and what you have already done in accomplishing these things. And so Father, would you help us rest in that as your people? Would you remind us to fear not, for we are redeemed people called by name. And so we pray these things in Christ's name and God's people said,